It's good to see all of you here. It's my pleasure to be in this capacity today while our pastor is away on vacation. I want to take a moment to welcome those who are visiting. We are very glad to have you and invite you to come again soon. Let me ask you if you've not done so, if you'd find the friendship pad on your pew and sign that and pass it along and then uh, return it back to its starting point. I have a couple of brief announcements. First, the wonderful Wednesdays will resume for the children this week following a break for July 4th. The hours are 9 a.m. until 12 noon, and there are some other details there in the bulletin. Secondly, and this one is not in the bulletin, there are some sheets in the vestibule that describe how you can help support hospice of the Carolina foothills. It's as simple as picking a restaurant and a day to eat out. Then participating restaurants will donate a portion of your bill to hospice. Again, there are sheets in the vestibule with that information on it, and you're encouraged to pick up one. Let us now worship.
The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray together. Give us, O Lord our God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and the faithfulness that may finally embrace you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us declare our beliefs using the historic Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the conscious of God, was crucified and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven.
Please be seated. I'm looking around. I'm going to be a little informal. Is someone prepared to do the children's moment? Okay, very good. So we'll um, ask the children to come up now. Today I want to talk about something that I've seen a lot of lately. We just came back from the beach, so we sat all week on the beach looking out at the ocean, but it's also rained a lot, hasn't it? The man next to us said he, the whole week we were gone, he didn't think there were four hours that went by that it didn't rain some more. So today we're going to talk a little bit about water. And I chose a Bible verse that was in a reading that I did this week while at the beach. And it comes from John 7:37. And it says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. When you're real thirsty, like when I go to the gym or if I'm playing outside or working in the yard, to me, there's nothing that makes me feel better and quench my thirst more than a big glass of cold water. You like drinking water? Some children don't like water. Do you like water? <coughs> I like water. You like water? I think it's better than colas or juices when I'm really, really thirsty. And Jesus said in the Bible that he was kind of like water and that he would refresh us and uh, give us nourishment and give us life, just like water gives life. gives life to the tree and the flowers and to the animals. Use it for so things and when he sacrificed himself on the cross Jesus said I will feed your thirst and I will give you something that will give you life as water gives life to people and animals and plants and he said I'm sending the Holy Spirit and that is like your life-giving water and when we take that water and it makes us live and it makes flowers live and plants live that's how Jesus wants us in in life to take him into our hearts and so that we can live and we can live so that we will one day live with him in heaven when we take him as part of our hearts and part of our lives and I have a little something I want to show you and I'm sure that you've seen it I don't know if all the parents and grandparents have ever seen it but teaching first grade I see this in my classroom when we go to lunch what some children like to bring and do. And it's just, it's just the water, like Jesus. And I want to show you what I think happens when you put Jesus, the water, in your life. Not only does it give you what you need to live, but it does something else to your life. right yeah it's a little packet and I think it's pretty cool my first graders think it's cool too but they take the water and you open it
this is the part I have to help my first graders with because sometimes they don't get the top, cop, the top back on just right. It goes everywhere. And we shake it up. And not only does it give us water that keeps us living and refreshes us, but it turns the water really pretty and it makes it taste better, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's what I think Jesus does in our lives. Not only does he gives us life-giving, give us life for when we depart, but it gives us excitement in our lives and makes our lives colorful and it makes our lives better. And I want you to remember that. What he said in John 7, 37, repeat after me, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And that's my lesson, is to go to Jesus and drink and get your water and get your wonderful life living through him. And I have one for you, and so because there's so few, if you like them, and I have the Bible verse on there. There's a pink one and a purple one, and you can have one of each. Go ahead. Our first scripture lesson comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us now go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we worship you and look to you as God of all wisdom, all power, all love. We also look to you as the God of justice and mercy and peace. Together we praise your name for you alone are holy. In the presence of your goodness, we are very much aware of our sinfulness. We confess our slowness to learn of Christ. We are a people who long to be loving, but a people who often fail to do so. Give us the courage to put ourselves in your hands and accept the forgiveness and the freedom that come only from you. We pray, O oh Lord, for those who are in need. We remember the sick, the depressed, the anxious. Help and strengthen them, we pray. We remember all who grieve this day, whatever the loss, and pray that they will be comforted by your Holy Spirit. O oh Lord, help us in all things to look to you for guidance. Grant us the grace to ask what you would have us to do. Lead us away from bad choices and by your Spirit, show us the right path to take each day at work, at home, at school, 
in the church, and in the community. All these things we pray through Christ our Lord, who taught the disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's continue our worship as we give our tithes and offerings.
Please be seated. The Gospel lesson today is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. I'll be reading verses 2 through 11. At dawn, he, referring to Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This passage I have just read describes a remarkable and a dramatic encounter. The lesson to be learned is rather obvious, but it's extremely relevant for our living. But before examining that, let's look for a few moments about a fascinating uh, mystery. And that mystery is how this story became part of our Bible. We start with how the New Testament came into existence. Biblical scholars tell us that the words of Jesus were not written down as he was saying them. It may be silly to say it, but there were no journalists following him around recording all that he said and did. The teaching of Jesus was oral, as was the tradition of that time. On occasions, the disciples no doubt memorized what Jesus said. One example of that, I think, is the Lord's Prayer. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray 
and he did. And I imagine the disciples learned those words and prayed them often. Also, we can assume that some of the sayings of Jesus were memorized by the disciples. Furthermore, people out in the crowds who heard Jesus teach probably went back home and told family or friends some of what they heard. And we can imagine those things being passed on, repeated time and time again. So some of what Jesus said and did was remembered. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the disciples began to spread out and tell the good news about Jesus. One of the teachings of those early followers was that Jesus would return to earth before long. But the years went by without that second coming. So those first Christians must have come to the conclusion that they were mistaken. Maybe Jesus was not going to come back during their lifetime. So they decided there needed to be a written record, a written account of Jesus' life, a writing they could share with others, a writing that could be passed down. A number of such accounts were written. Four of them are in our New Testament. Those four accounts are gospels, as we call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were accepted by the early church as scripture, sacred writing. Those gospels, along with letters written by the Apostle Paul and several books and letters written by other followers of Christ, became the New Testament. Archaeologists have not found any of the very first written gospel accounts. The originals may no longer exist. What have been found are a number of copies. Perhaps when the originals began to wear out, to, to wear out a copy was made, and when the copy began to wear out, other copies were made. Those New Testaments, along with the Old Testament, were painstakingly copied by hand, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. It wasn't until the invention of the printing press that the Bible first became the bound book that we know. The copies of the New Testament that have been discovered have been carbon dated, and the oldest of those date back to about 200 AD. And now here is where the mystery of today's text comes into play. The story of the woman caught in adultery does not appear in any of the oldest copies that have been found. The first time it appears is in a copy that's been carbon dated to about 600 A.D. So somewhere between 200 A.D. and 600 A.D. 
These verses were approved by the leaders of the church at that time and added to the written gospel accounts. And if you look in your Bible to John 8, verses 1 through 11, you will find that most, if not all, translations have a footnote that indicates this story is not in the very oldest manuscripts. And since this story is not found in those earliest copies of the New Testament, over the years some people have doubted that the event described really took place. I don't doubt that at all. And apparently the leaders of the church living even hundreds of years after Jesus did not doubt that that story was original either. It is easy for me to believe that an encounter like the one described took place. The way in which Jesus refuses to pass sentence on the woman is entirely consistent with Jesus' other teachings on forgiveness and not judging. Let's look again at what the passage says. These verses report that some scribes and Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. We know that was not unusual. There are other places, other examples in the four Gospels which describe them attempting to do the same thing. In this instance, the scribes and Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. They told him that in the religious laws that Moses had given them, the commandment was to stone such a person. They asked Jesus what he thought. Well, that question put Jesus in quite a predicament. If he agreed with the Jewish law of Moses, then in the eyes of the secular Roman government, he would be illegally inciting others to kill the woman, a charge that could lead to his arrest. On the other hand, if Jesus condoned this sin, if he told the people not to stone her, he would be going against the laws of Moses and consequently would be discredited in the eyes of the Jewish people. So we read that saying nothing, Jesus bent down and started writing in the dirt. The leaders kept pressing Jesus for an answer. Finally, he said this, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And the scripture reports that one by one, all of the individuals walked away. In these verses, Jesus has taught once again that we are not to judge, not to condemn others. In a passage in the Gospel of Matthew, a passage known to many of us as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught the same thing. He said, do not judge. And he said, if we do, God will judge us to the same degree we judge others. 
Then over in the New Testament letter of James, we find the following about judging. And let me read that. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? End of quote. And that last verse states plainly that there is only one judge. And we know that is God. All of these passages taken together show that the New Testament is clear and it's consistent in teaching us not to judge one another. But how well do we do in following that teaching? Isn't there a lot of judging going on? Aren't people quick to jump to conclusions? When things go wrong, isn't there a strong temptation to look for someone to blame? During a normal day, what do you hear more of? Praise or criticism? God is the only judge. God is the only one who knows the hearts and minds of everyone. And one of the reasons we shouldn't judge is that we don't have all that knowledge. We are not God. Let me give you a, a humorous example. Mr. Jones was leaving a hotel lobby, and by accident, he picked up the wrong umbrella. When the owner called his attention to it, Mr. Jones offered his apologies and returned the umbrella. Then he got his own umbrella and went on his way. Well, later in the day, he remembered, Mr. Jones did, that he had promised his wife that he would buy both her and his daughter an umbrella. So he went in a nearby store, bought each of them one, and he bought an extra one for himself. Mr. Jones left the store tucked the now four umbrellas under his arm and walked down the street toward his car. And just as he was approaching his car with the four umbrellas, who should he see but the man whose umbrella he had accidentally picked up earlier. And the man looked at Mr. Jones suspiciously and he said, I see you've had a pretty good day after all. Judging is risky. Things are not always as they appear. Our conclusions are often wrong. During my seminary days, I had a friend named Patrick Welch. And part of one summer, Patrick and I worked for a short time at the same church. And as it turned out, Patrick was not as well accepted as I was, I attributed, uh, attributed that to 
the appearance of Patrick. I was rather clean cut in appearance and dress. Patrick, on the other hand, had a beard, rather long hair, and it being summer, he usually wore sandals. He looked like people who at that time were called hippies. And to me, it was ironic. Patrick's very conservative theology was more like that of the congregation than mine. But some of the people had trouble getting past his appearance. They didn't get to know what he was really like. And I wonder how guilty you and I may be of that on occasions. Do, do we judge people by the way they look? If two Hispanic men come into a restaurant at lunchtime and sit at a table near us, do we automatically assume that they are undocumented workers? If a teenage girl comes to church with somewhat inappropriate clothes, with too many piercings and tattoos, do we frown and think to ourselves, it would be better if she were to go to another church? Judging is unkind, it's uncaring, and we learn from today's scripture, it's unchristlike. Back in 1970, there was a pop song by Joe South. It's entitled, Walk a Mile in My Shoes. Some of you probably remember it. I want to close by reading the words of that song. If I could be you and you could be me for just one hour, if we could find a way to get inside each other's mind, if you could see you through my eyes instead of your ego, I believe you'd be surprised to see that you'd been blind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. And before you abuse, criticize, and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. Now the whole world you see around you is just a reflection. And the law of common says you're going to reap just what you sow. So unless you've lived a life of total perfection, you'd better be careful of every stone that you should throw. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. And before you abuse, criticize, and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. And yet we spend the day throwing stones at one another because I don't think or wear my hair the same way you do. Well, I may be common people, but I'm your brother. And when you strike out and try to hurt me, it's a hurting you. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. And before you abuse, criticize, and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. There are people on reservations and out in the ghettos, but brother, there but for the grace of God go you and I. 
If I only had the wings of a little angel, don't you know I'd fly to the top of the mountain and then I'd cry, walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. And before you abuse, criticize, and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. Let us pray. Merciful God, lead us to remember that we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of your glory. Help us not to judge others. Enable us instead to grow more each day in Christ-like love. It's in his name we pray. Amen. With grateful hearts, let us go in the strength of the Spirit to give of ourselves to others. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. Amen.